Welcome to the Homes Politicast. I'm Jim, and I'll be your host for today. Labor Day weekend is coming up. That's pretty nice, I guess. Uh, I mean, the weekend's always nice, but I, and I love the fall, but winter's coming soon, and it's the end of summer, and it's just, you know, it's kind of bittersweet, but hopefully everyone will have a great Labor Day weekend. You may have noticed the gas prices are starting to rise again for Labor Day weekend. A lot of people are getting out. Uh, now they're claiming that it's because of Hurricane Ida that they have to raise prices, but uh, anybody who's paid any attention notices that every time a holiday comes up, they raise gas prices. And it's not hard to figure out why. As more people are traveling, they can make more money. Gas prices will go up this weekend, and they might stay just for a tiny bit longer, but then gas prices will be somewhat depressed until Thanksgiving, and then suddenly gas prices go up again. They may come up with an excuse, so they just may not even bother, you know. And uh, so anyway, it's just a cycle that follows. Today and the rest of this week should be pretty nice and mild compared to the uh, the excessive heat that we've had the past several weeks. Very oppressive. Uh, it feels really nice today. Those of you who are working outside, have, I'm sure, completely noticed the difference and appreciate it. Uh, because uh, there's one story here that because of all of the power outages that Michigan has suffered, over the past couple of months. I mean, we've had a lot of power outages throughout Michigan. Uh, hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have been without power over the summer at various times, not at the same time. But DTE Energy is announcing that it's going to pour $70 million more into their tree trimming in order to keep this from happening again. Of course, this mostly affects Southeast Michigan, but still, uh, that's something that, well, my father used to work at a power plant and he made the comment one time, because I think I mentioned before that our power used to go out all the time. Like we'd get the slightest breeze and our power would go out. And I remember my dad telling me that they had really, that one of the problems was they had really cut down on the tree trimming service. That at one time, there were a lot of people who were on the staff that just went around regularly and trimmed trees to make sure that they weren't, the power lines weren't in danger if these trees fell or, or anything. And they had they'd cut that budget tremendously. I guess there'd been some kind of uh, uh, turnover in the management. I don't know. I, I can't remember if the place was bought by a new company or if they just got rid of, if the CEO retired and they got a new person. I can't remember what the reasoning was. But anyway, he said the new management thought it was kind of a waste of money having these people full-time going around and um, cutting, cutting tree branches and so they got rid of many of them and the other ones they only put on call they didn't do any proactive tree trimming they went after power outages they would go back and trim all the trees in the affected area instead of being proactive like uh um i think i said proactive earlier i meant they're more reactive now uh, they were very proactive before they would drive around and look and see what potential problems were and take care of them before and my dad said that's the reason why, at least in our area, that we had so many power outages because uh, the trees were, you know, in the wintertime, the trees would get filled with ice or snow and they would, the branches would break and knock down the power lines in the, in the, in the summer and, and things when the high winds came, the trees would uh, fall on the, you know, on the, on the power lines lightning would strike trees and that fall i mean just there was just a number of problems and so anyway uh i've often thought that this would be a good thing to 
to do. Uh, so obviously DTE Energy is doing this. So hopefully we won't have as many problems with power outages as we have in the past. Uh, in Grand Haven, this is a second story. It's by Lynn Moore, and it's from MLive. Uh, this isn't really a big, it's not an issue-oriented one. It's just something for your information that uh, the Grand Haven Lighthouse is opening for public tours. Um, that um, the Grand Haven Lighthouse Conservancy is hosting tours of the Outer Lighthouse from 5 to 7 on September 2nd. And the event is a celebration of restoration work that has been completed so far by the Grand Haven Lighthouse Conservancy. Uh, that work is ongoing, as is fundraising to pay for it. But the lighthouse received $75,000 in repairs to its lantern room, the lantern room floor, repairs to the exterior decking, blah, 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 all this other stuff. And they were completed on August 30th. And this is according to David Carpen of the Grand Haven Lighthouse Conservancy. He's the president of that group. It looks like a very nice, old, very well-maintained lantern room, Carpen said. There will be no cost to the tours, but donations are encouraged. They still would like to raise money for the Structure Cement Foundation that will include the installation of railings so the public can walk around the perimeter of the structure. Uh, and they hope, and they're also hoping that they will get matching state grant funding so the work can be done by next year. They eventually want to restore the living quarters so you could see uh, how they looked when the lighthouse keepers lived there and open the structure as a museum. Uh, I bring this up because um, I've been to the lighthouse. I've never been inside of it, but the pier is just amazing in Grand Haven. But uh, I've always been fascinated by old lighthouses, and I would love to see the living quarters and see how they would have lived back then. So this is really intriguing to me. It doesn't have any real national or state importance, but it's just something that's interesting to me, and I thought I'd share it with you. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's that story. So if you're in Grand Haven, definitely check out. I mean, I don't know how long they're going to do that. I don't know if they're going to do that in the winter, but but definitely it's something to check out. Worth checking out here. Um, Wood TV8 has got this story. The legislature seeks to limit Whitmer's use of the alert system. Uh, it's from Wood TV8, but it's from an article in the Associated Press. Republicans who control the Michigan legislature want to limit Governor Gretchen Whitmer's ability to send statewide emergency alerts to wireless devices and broadcast stations, except for immediate threats. The Democratic Governor's Administration used the public alert system early in the coronavirus pandemic to notify residents of stay-at-home orders and mask requirements to curb COVID-19, frustrating GOP lawmakers. Under a bill approved Wednesday, the system could not be activated to announce new laws or executive orders unless it is necessary to respond to an immediate or nearly immediate loss of life or property. They add that the governor is likely to veto this legislation. Well, I completely agree with this because I was concerned when I first heard about this, uh, the alerts, national alert system that the federal government was putting into place. Because my fear was that at some point it would be abused. It would be abused at some point by um, lawmakers who just wanted an excuse to reach the public. Uh, and this obviously is what the Republicans in the legislature are fearing. Because when Whitmer started doing that, it, it concerned me 
because that's not the reason why allegedly we were supposed to have this alert system. It was for emergencies. Well, what, what really got the ball rolling was uh, in places like Hawaii where you might have a volcano that is getting ready to erupt. You know, it's imminent. I'm not saying it's going to happen in the next 30 seconds, but, you know, or possibly an earthquake, something where you need to alert the people immediately to find shelter or to get out of town. Uh, you know, I suppose if it's like an earthquake, or if it's a volcanic eruption. But like it will say an earthquake probably is more likely. Um, you know, or if there is a tornado warning in your area, like a, an actual, not a watch, but an actual warning. There's been a tornado sighted and you need a shelter in place. Get into your basement, do something. If you're in a vehicle, you need to find a safe place to get out of the way of this tornado. That was the purpose, was for an immediate thing to reach everybody, you know, all over all over television, radio, uh, through your telephones, you know, to reach everyone, no matter where you are, that there is imminent danger, quickly shelter in place, or on a college campus or any kind of building where there is an active shooter, you know, a warning um, for parents if their kid, if the school has been locked down because there's an active shooter in the area. Parents need to know that their children are safe. The building is in lockdown. If it's time for them to be coming home, they won't be coming home right now. So, you know, parents can be informed. It wasn't meant, um, you know, just to, for the governor or the president to just speak to the people directly and say, um, there's a new law coming out, or I'm proposing this, or, you know, um, please call your member of Congress because they're not supporting my healthcare plan or whatever the issue is, it's not meant to be a personal like Twitter account where it goes directly to every individual. The governor or the president can speak directly to people everywhere. It was meant only for emergencies. And so when Whitmer starts sending out these messages about stay-at-home orders or, you know, mask mandates or you know, new laws coming down or new rules coming down from the CDC. That wasn't the purpose of it. That stuff you can find out uh, in your own time. It's not an emergency where you need to know this second that, that uh, you know, she wants people to mask up if they're indoors. I mean, that's not urgent. I mean, it might be in her mind, but it's not urgent to everybody else. So I really hope that they override this veto. I don't know what, how large the, the Michigan legislature or the Republicans control the Michigan legislature is. So I don't know if they have the ability to override a veto, but I hope they do. And because this is just, it, it's just ridiculous. And I mean, there are definitely dangers to having it. I mean, there are definitely pluses, but there are dangers. In Hawaii, a couple of years ago, there was um, uh, that order that came out that said, I'm trying to remember now, that there was an imminent threat. I think that they were being, that, that there was missiles. I think that's what it was. There was missiles headed toward Hawaii, and it warned everybody to find shelter, get off the beaches, um, and there was panic all over. And it turned out that somebody had hacked into it or something was wrong. Somehow, it was, it, was, it was not true. It was a hoax. But I don't know if they ever figured out how it happened because everyone blamed everyone else. Oh, well, it, we were hacked. And then other people saying they weren't hacked. It was some low-level person who put it in the system. And then, well, it was an accident and, you know, we always have these alerts ready in case it happens that we don't have to type it all out. And, you know, some flunky accidentally sent it instead of storing it. Or, I mean, there was came out like five different versions of what exactly happened. And as far as I know, nobody got fired for it. 
but the entire state of Hawaii was in panic alert because they were told that this is not a hoax. This is not a not a not a hoax. This is not a war. Um, oh, what is it? Anyway, uh, but anyway, it was severe. It was it was serious. Um, it was not a drill. That's what they said. This is not a drill. This is a red alert. You know, missiles heading toward Hawaii. And that is what also my concern was of having this kind of a system is you could easily put the nation into a panic if somebody hacks into the system or if somebody just wants to play a practical joke or if there's just a mistake made. You could end up causing huge amounts of damage to life and property if uh, with this ability. Now, like I said, I mean, people may think that People may weigh the options to say the the reward is better than the risk, and we want to have it even though it could be dangerous, but it's going to be so good for people, and that's the prerogative. I'm not I'm not trying to dissuade you. I'm just saying that these are my concerns. But um, definitely, I don't think governors should be using this stuff for their own um, for their own benefit. Um, of course, you all know there's not a whole lot to say about Hurricane Ida. It came through. I'm just thinking if I was the president of the United States right now, this is where I would be earning my salary. He, the president has a number of crises he's facing right now all at the same time. And we're not even talking about things like the fires in California in the West that are out of control and the drought, although I'm sure he, he gets updates on those things, but they aren't really in his responsibility to take care of the fires. I mean, he can help. He can send National Guard and federal funding, but by and large, those are state issues that you know, are going to be handled. So he might be aware of them, but but if you're the president of the United States right now, you've got this Afghanistan thing, which is an absolute disaster. He's hearing from world leaders. I mean, it's not just a United States problem. Leaders from all over the world are angry at Biden. And they did that G7 Zoom meeting or whatever. And they berated Biden about his Afghanistan withdrawal because it put their troops' lives at risk because we just pulled out suddenly. So they were all angry. And I've been watching news from around the world. I've been watching Sky News from England. I've been watching uh, France 24. I've been watching uh, Russian television. I've been watching um, – what they call Euro News, uh, which is all of Europe. Um, I've just been browsing through these different uh, countries, and every one of them, their top stories are about Afghanistan and how Biden is affecting. You know, they're all they're all blaming the United States. Like in England, the Foreign Secretary, which is our equivalent of our Secretary of State, um, people were demanding that he resigned because of this horrible policy. And his name is Dominic Robb. And Mr. Robb held a press conference, I think, earlier today on the 1st of September, in which he blamed America and their faulty intelligence. Uh, and said it was, it was the Americans' fault that the British, that this happened to the British soldiers because of their faulty intelligence, and we talked about that before, that the intelligence community kept claiming that it would be a year or more before the Taliban would take over, there would be this, this fighting, and and Kabul wouldn't was not going to fall. And, and he said this was what he was assured by Biden and the American uh, intelligence. Of course, that's got him in some problems over there because the British people, they're a proud people. And they don't like the idea of, of, of the United Kingdom 
following whatever the United States says because they think the United States has led them into many ridiculous wars like in Iraq and Afghanistan, all because the British prime minister and everyone just trusts whatever the United States says when they have their own MI6 and they have, you know, they have their own CIA and, and um, you know, and they have Scotland Yard, which is their equivalent to FBI. And they believe that they're fully capable of deciding things on their own. And the point being, though, I mean, so he may end up having to resign anyway, but the point being that Macron and France and, uh, and Boris Johnson and, and England are all blaming the United States for first getting us into this war and then pulling out in such a disastrous fashion, which left their troops in harm's way. So you have that. I mean, you have him getting phone calls from world leaders, you know, not just, hey, uh, Joe, what's going on here? I mean, we're talking people calling him and screaming at him and, you know, claiming the blood is on his hands and what are you thinking and there's probably a lot of cursing and, and name calling plus he went the other day to uh, Dover Air Force Base where they bring in the uh, the dead soldiers and not only was Biden seen looking at his watch can't wait to get this thing over with but from every source I've heard that the parents lit into Biden when they were behind the closed doors. The press is there at the beginning, but the president of the United States, this is a tradition that's gone back, I don't know how many years, for at least since George W. Bush. Um, it may have gone on before then, but I didn't hear about it. But since George W. Bush, it's a tradition that the presidents go to Dover Air Force Base when the returning caskets are brought back. And then that part's public, and then privately they go back and meet with the families of the fallen soldiers. And every source I've heard, it is a difficult, difficult moment because these people are in grief. Some of them can hardly stand. They're crying and grieving so badly. Some people are angry at the president. They blame the president for the murder of their child. Um, Donald Trump has said it was the worst experience he's ever had when he went there. Uh, every every president, you know, Bush, Obama, have said it is the thing you look forward to least, being president of the United States, is having to meet the grieving parents. I mean, not that you don't want to meet them, but it is such a difficult thing. I mean, you're left there wanting to be in tears for the grieving, but you also have to listen to, and you can't, you know, you don't want to get in a fight with a grieving parent, but some grieving parents are right in your face, calling you a murderer, calling you a killer, blaming you, telling you that, telling you that they'll never forgive you for what you did that, you know, and they hate you. I mean, I mean, it, it runs the gamut. Some people want to hug you. Some people want to slap you. Some people, you know, want to call you names. Some people can't even talk because they're in such grief and and you just got to take it you've got to just play it by ear you've got to hug those who are crying you've got to just take it if if you know a woman slaps you across the face i mean you just you know you take it i mean you know it's just it, it's just a really really difficult experience and from all sources that i've read when joe biden met with these people, it was not pretty. They were angry at Joe Biden because of, of what happened in Afghanistan. They blamed him. They yelled at him. Um, I They don't give you like transcripts, but that's what I've heard. I don't know how far it went, but they said it was not pretty, the sources I've heard. And some of the parents have talked. Some of the parents of, of, the, of the, some of the grieving parents have talked, and they've said it was not uh, all the all the families there were angry at Joe Biden, and they made sure he knew it. Um, they didn't go into a lot of detail. So I mean, it's got. I mean, on a human level, I'm very sympathetic. I mean, that's that's a tough thing to have to take that. So he's got world leaders calling him. He's got grieving parents. He's got both 
aisles of Congress, Republicans and Democrats are angry at how this happened. You've got Republicans in the House saying if they take back the House, they're impeaching Joe Biden. Uh, this is threatening his political future as far as getting infrastructure and other things done. But then on top of that, he's got these COVID cases that are rising. You've got a number of people who aren't being vaccinated, which I'm not I'm not being critical. I'm just I'm just stating a fact that there are a number of people who aren't being vaccinated and the administration wants everyone to get vaccinated. They feel that that is the reason why the coronavirus is still surging in places statistically, according to them, it's getting it's uh, accelerating in places like in the South that are very Republican strongholds where people are refusing to get vaccinated. This is the administration's argument that if these people would just get vaccinated, the COVID would die out, or at least the court cases would be so small. But, you know, so in their argument is now, this is their argument. We're having to reintroduce mask mandates in schools. We're having to uh, shut down uh, some cities. This is just ridiculous. We're going back backwards, like in 2020, instead of going forward, all because people aren't being vaccinated and there's nothing he can do about it, short of mandatory vaccinations. There's nothing the White House can really do to force anybody to get vaccinated. And I don't think mandatory vaccinations would stand up in a court of law. I don't think you can force people to get a vaccination. Um, legally, I don't think you can force them. Now, I may be wrong about that because the Supreme Court has ruled in ways that surprised me in the past. So, But I don't think that you can force people to get vaccinated. So I'm sure if I was Joe Biden, I would be very frustrated because I promised that I would get rid of the coronavirus. This would be over if I was in office. Unlike Donald Trump, I would take care of the situation. And now we can't take, there's nothing he can do. He's helpless. All he's got to do is just sit here and watch as things get worse and worse and worse. You know, and, and in his mind, he knows if they would just get vaccinated, this would all go away, but I can't do anything. I can't force him to get vaccinated. So I'm helpless. <laughs> you know, so... And then add to that, we had Hurricane Ida come through just a couple of days ago, which has done tremendous damage to Louisiana. And uh, particularly, I don't know about, I don't know where all it hit, but I've seen footage the last couple of days of the damage to Louisiana. And all of southern Louisiana is out of power. And all the way through New Orleans, there is no power. And I saw pictures of the of the um, towers, and they are just mangled. I mean, literally. They are mangled and twisted up into almost a ball. You know, these are television towers. These are radio towers. These are cell phone towers. There is almost no communication available out of Louisiana right now, or at least Southern Louisiana. You know, cell phones aren't working. Television, radio is not working. CB radios aren't working. They have no power. They have no water. They have, I mean, it's just an absolute disaster. And I, I mean, I look at that stuff. I'm not an engineer. I look at that stuff and it seems insurmountable. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's so overwhelming to me. Like, I don't know where you would start if, if you were in charge. That's, this is where I have my difficulty is sometimes things just get so overwhelming to me that I don't, it just seems almost hopeless. You know, it's one of those things where you just have to pick something and work on that's happened to me before in my house. Like my house has become really messy and I think I need to get my house cleaned up, but it's like, I don't know where to start. It just seems so insurmountable. I mean, I've got to do the dishes and the floors haven't been vacuumed and there's trash here. And I, you know, and I haven't, you know, and, and I have these books just lying around because I was doing research and I don't know, 
you know, and it's like, oh. and you know, the way I have to end up tackling that is just picking one thing and doing one thing at a time, instead of thinking about the whole big picture and how messy everything is saying, okay, I'm just going to ignore everything and I'm just going to do the dishes. And then once the dishes are done, I'm going to pick up those books. And then once that done, you know, like, but if I just look at everything, I'm like, I don't even know where to start. I just feel overwhelmed. Like, and that's how I feel when I'm looking at this, these things. I'm like, where do you start here? I, you know, I, like I said, you have to start from scratch because these metal towers are now twisted into almost a ball. I mean, they're just twisted. You can't repair them. You have to start from scratch and rebuild. Like, it's not a matter of just unstretching them and putting them back up. I mean, it's, you know, and then the hospitals. This is one thing I do not understand for the life of me is why hospitals are not built to be hurricane resistant. They were showing footage on there of these hospitals where the roof is blowing off the hospitals. There is no power. They don't have generators at these hospitals. You know, windows are smashing in. They're having to evacuate these hospitals because they're, uh, because the, not just the roof, but some of them, like the top stories of the hospital are, are collapsing and blowing off. I just, you know, so anyway, I'm looking at all this and thinking, do you start with the hospitals? Do you start, do you start with the cell phones because people need to be able to communicate? Do you, uh, you know, I'm seeing cities which have been leveled in that city. Where do you start? Do you start rebuilding people's homes? Do you start rebuilding the businesses? I mean, because what's the point of having a home if, 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 if there's nowhere to shop, there's nowhere, you know, there's no food, there's no water, there's no, you know, but then again, what's the point of rebuilding the stores and businesses if nobody's able to live in the town? Who's going to go there? So, you know, I just get overwhelmed. Like, I don't even know where you would begin. And there's flooding and there's, I mean, just, you know, do you get, do you try to pump all that water out? first you know i mean i i just i mean i guess you'd have to but i you know i i just don't know like i said i mean it just seems so overwhelming and so if i was the president of the united states right now i've got a triple crisis on my hands of just the major things i mean there's always little crises that occur but you've got afghanistan and the whole world is angry and it's just a mess and you've still got people stranded you've got COVID, which now Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and Texas now have uh, almost no ICU beds available. Their hospitals are burgeoning with, with patients. This thing, like any damage that's done from these hurricanes, um, now, Louisiana is still somewhat safe, but there are still, what about people who need to go to the hospital now for other wounds? There is no room for them because they're filled with COVID patients. You know, people are literally going to die. Either way, you take these COVID people out of the hospital, tell them you got to go home, they're going to die because they need hospitalization. But if the beds are being filled with COVID people, then... What do you do for people who get shot? What do you get for people who are in a car accident? There's no beds available for them. You know, do you put them on a waiting list? They're going to die. You put them on a waiting list. What are you going to do? Open a triage in the, in the Walmart park, parking lot and start working on soldiers. I mean, not soldiers on gunshot wounds and car victims, car accident victims in the Walmart pocket parking lot, you know, under a tent. I mean, that's not sanitary. That's not safe. You know, um, so, I, I mean, you know, get all these problems going on, plus the hurricane, and now you're getting updates about the hurricane and, and the damage and the deaths, and you've got governors calling you saying, we need funding, we need this, we need that, you know, um, you know, I just, I would be overwhelmed right now. I'm not saying that I couldn't do the job. Don't get me wrong. You know, if I ever want to run for office in the future, I don't want anyone using this to say, well, Jim admitted he couldn't even handle 
a crisis. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this is where you earn your pay. This is where you, you know, this is the not fun part about being president. I mean, there are some things about being president that's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, you, you, there are a lot of things that's great about being president. These are the not so great things. This is where you need a young person, and I'm just going to say it. I think Biden's too old. You need a young person because in crises like this, you're not going to get much sleep. During the Cuban Missile Crisis, JFK stayed up 72 straight hours because there was risk that we that nuclear war was about to happen. He didn't get any sleep. I mean, he may have got like a 10-minute nap here and there or something, but I'm not I'm not saying he absolutely did not sleep. But I mean, no real sleep for 72 hours. I mean, you know, during 9/11, after 9/11, George W. Bush was up for days. You're dealing with uh, constant changes, uh, you know, intelligence change, uh, new intelligence information and things like that. You know, that was not a fun time. Uh, he wasn't getting a lot of sleep. I don't know how much sleep he got, but he didn't get a lot for weeks, for a week or more. Um, you know, he had to get intelligence updates about what's going on with Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden. Um you know, first they had to find out who was behind it, and then, you know, and then then they had to track them, find out what's happening, and there's going to be another case. And then, of course, after that, you may remember that suddenly there were these uh, ricine anthrax um, uh, packages being sent to members of Congress and and uh, to news media and other things, um, which was considered the second wave. Um, it ended up not being. Osama bin Laden, but we didn't know that at the time. I mean, all of a sudden, anthrax is being sent to, you know, there's assassination attempts. We don't know what's going on. I lived through that time, and I remember just thinking, oh, my God, what is happening? This country, we are under attack. I mean, from every direction, from the planes and the mail, everywhere. I mean, it's just, um, you know, and so if I'm getting this, you know the president of the United States is having to feel this, and he's even hearing about things that the press that the public didn't find out about until years later. You know, he's getting updates about possible underwear bombers and, and things in Times Square and, you know, and all kinds of stuff like this. And so you need a younger person to be president right now because this is just way too difficult for um, an older person to handle. I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to be facetious here, and I'm not being a partisan hack. But seriously, we're in danger of the president having an overload. He could have a heart attack. He could have a stroke because of the pressure that is on him right now. And you know, seriously, I, I really believe this. I'm not trying to be funny or or be a political hack, but I'm just saying. You know, I think there's a reason why he does his his all of his stuff in the daytime, and I think it's because he has an early bedtime. I mean, he's not gonna, you know, um, he always does his announcements like at one thirty. Okay, he's supposed to do them at one thirty. This is the thing that gets under my skin with Biden. I mean, for a man who checks his watch a lot, he certainly does not have any sense of time, because this is now the second time that he's done this. The other day or maybe it was last week, he was going to make an address to the nation and we ended up waiting four hours for him to come out. He said he was going to make the address at like one and he got out at five o'clock to finally speak. Then yesterday or the day before, anyway, I don't know, whenever you watch this, it'll be a couple days ago or whenever you listen to this. He was scheduled to be out at 1.30, and I, I remember this because I was working um, on a project with um, some people, and I told them I need to be done by 1.30, or I want to take a break at 1.30 is what I said. You know, So I skipped the lunch break and everything. I'm like, I'm going to take my break at 1.30 because I'm kind of interested in what the president's going to say. He's going to announce the end of the war. This might be historic because, you know, 
these are the moments that rem people remember in history books when the president announces the end of a war or something. I remember Truman uh, uh, when the war ended in, in Japan. I remember, you know, you, you, you have these addresses where the president announces the end of a war. And I thought, this might be a historic moment. So I told him I wanted to, I wanted to take a break at 1.30. So I come up here at 1.30. Or I, I, I go up to the TV at 1.30. And I'm eating my lunch and I'm waiting. And actually, I, I got up there about 1.25 because I, I didn't want to come in just as it's starting. Because I wanted to get some stuff done right before, get some food and things. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And about 15 minutes passes. He hasn't come out yet. Then suddenly it's two o'clock. I'm like, man, that guy's a half hour late. What's going on here? And then the news announced that he wouldn't be coming out until 2.45. They changed it. I'm like, are you kidding me? <sighs> All right. Well, I've only got 40, you know, and I'm like, I really didn't know what to do because I didn't know if a project would be done in 45 minutes. I didn't want to go back down there and then have to leave again to come back up and see the president again. So I talked to him and they're like, well, you know, we don't really need you right now. So if you want to go ahead and wait. So I went back up and 2.45 comes around and finally everyone's done. And I guess I could have helped. Everyone's done. And I tell them, well, the president's about to address the nation if you want to sit in here and watch it with me. you know." see what he has to say so everyone does what they're going to do and they come and sit down and we wait and we wait and we wait three o'clock rolls by he doesn't come out 315 rolls by he doesn't come out 330 rolls by he doesn't come out he didn't come out until four o'clock he was supposed to come out at 130 then he changed it to 245 and this time he didn't even change it they just didn't announce anything he doesn't come out till four o'clock I was irate by the time it came out, to say the least. Like, I was actually kind of interested in what he had to say, partly because I was going to talk about it a little today on the podcast. And I was pretty excited. Well, excited might be too hard, too high of a word, but I was interested. By the time it came out, I was annoyed. I was tired. I was irritable. And then he didn't even say anything of substance. He comes out. And the first thing he does is blame Donald Trump for everything. This was all Donald Trump's fault. Everything that happened bad was Donald Trump's fault. This was all on him. So he went down the history of why Donald Trump basically was a horrible person and a horrible president. And this was all on him. Then he spent the rest of the time defending his decision to leave Afghanistan. He repeated yet again about how four presidents have been involved in Afghanistan, two Republicans, two Democrats. I was not going to pass it on to a fifth. Like, okay, I've heard that now five times. In the past five speeches you've given, you repeated that. And he's tweeted it, oh, who knows how many times. But my problem with it was that I don't know of anybody who's saying we should stay in Afghanistan another 10 or 15 years. That is not what people are upset about. They're upset about the manner in which we left. Not that we left. It's the way we left. And he never justified that. He just kept bragging about how he finally had the nerve to do what the last three presidents couldn't do. And he got us out of this war. And he was not, he, he defends that, getting us out of that war. We no longer to be in the war, you know, blah, blah, blah. This was a policy that both Obama and Trump had talked about getting us out of the war. He actually did it. Like, again, no one is saying that you were wrong to take us out of Afghanistan. It is the way you did it, and he has not yet explained why it was handled in such a haphazardly manner. He just keeps justifying that we needed to leave. Yeah, duh. We've all said that. Donald Trump ran on that. The American people agreed with that. Everyone thinks we should have been out of there. But he doesn't want to talk about the disaster that happened, just, I got us out of there. It just annoyed me. And maybe I was already annoyed, so it just hit me the wrong way. But that just bothered me, you know, that 
he wants to take credit for getting us out of there, but then wants to blame Trump for for the disastrous way we got out of there. Like, well, you can't have it both ways. Either Trump gets the credit for getting us out of Afghanistan and the blame for the way it was done, or Biden can get credit for getting us out of Afghanistan, but also has to take responsibility for the disaster that happened under his watch. It just, it just really bothered me. It bothers me that he, you know, and, and the other thing that bothers me about presidents being late, because a lot of presidents are, you know, I'm not saying Donald Trump was always punctual too. You know, he had moments where he was late. I don't remember him being three hours late, but, you know, but, you know, he's been late. Obama was late, you know, Bush and Clinton were late on, on at times. Bush was probably the most punctual of all of our most recent presidents. But what bothers me is they seem to have no concern for the people watching. And that's what bothers me. People have lives. People have things. They seem to think that everyone's lives revolve around them. I'll come out there when I feel like it and you'll wait for me. Because what better things do you have to do? You know, um, I just think it's disrespectful when people are late. I mean, I understand little things, and I'm talking about even in real life. I understand that things happen. I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, I don't, I don't get rid of friends just because they're late. If they, you don't respect me enough to be here on time, fine. We're not friends. I understand things happen. I'm not, I'm not arguing that at all. I understand uh, things happen. Um, people run late. Sometimes there's things out of their control, traffic or you know, you get lost. I got lost the other day going to a friend's house and I had never been there before and I, I couldn't figure out the directions very well. So I was, you know, like 15 minutes late or so. Um, I understand it happens. I'm not, I'm not saying a person's a bad person if they're not punctual. If they're not punctual continuously, then yeah, it's a little disrespectful. Um, but but you know, but if but if a person's just a little late, I mean that's understandable. I'm not talking about a person who's 10, 15 minutes late, you know. And if they call you and say, "Hey, I'm running late. I'm leaving now. Sorry about that. I'll be there shortly." Whatever, that's fine. I'm talking about people like Joe Biden here, three or four hours late. You know, I gave up part of my afternoon. I was working on something, and I gave it up. Out of respect for the president of the United States, he wanted to speak. I, I thought, I'll listen to what he has to say. I'll listen. You know, he's my president. I don't always agree with him. I don't particularly like him as a human being. Um, and I, I agree with very little of him politically, but he's my president and he wants to speak to me. Uh, and I say me, meaning the American people, but, you know, he wants to speak to us and to me specifically, sure, I'll take some time. Um, you know, he obviously has something he needs to say and I'll listen because I am his boss and he's, he needs to address me and let me know what's going on about Afghanistan or any of the things. But then to just not show up for three or four hours, does he not think I have anything else to do today? Does he not think that I have responsibilities and things that I have to do that I have all day just to sit around and wait for him to come out because, you know, I'm just some poor schmuck. What do you have to do that's so important? You know, that it's just disrespectful to me. And it's disrespectful to everybody when, when you're that late. Um, it's disrespectful to the press. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the press, but I mean, still it's disrespectful to them. Because they have things they have to, they have other stories they have to cover. They have deadlines they have to reach, <coughs> and then just to have them sit there, which they had to do. You have to sit there for three or four hours, waiting. You know, it's not like they're in a lounger. They're sitting in a chair in the east room, waiting to listen to the president. They're just sitting there, twiddling their thumbs, waiting for the president to come out. You know, I think it's just disrespectful to them as human beings to have to sit there and wait and wait and wait. And you don't know when he's going to come out. So, I mean, if you get hungry or thirsty, I don't want to get up and leave because what if the president comes out? This is my job. I'm supposed to be here and listen to the president. You know, so 
you know, if you have to go to the bathroom, I mean, you're holding it as long as you can, but at some point you got to run to the bathroom. But what happens if he comes out and I'm in the bathroom? How do I explain that to my editor? Yeah, I missed the beginning of the president's press conference because I was in the bathroom. You know, uh, I just think it's extremely disrespectful. So anyway, there's my little rant again. Um, it's like every week I have one rant I get off on. But anyway, I, I just think, again, I think the president needs to either resign or he needs to start firing some people, pick a scapegoat and fire somebody, you know, because I think this is just a disaster and him taking credit for it. But then I'm not really taking credit either because it's Trump's problem. It's just unpresidential and excuse the term, but it's unmanly, you know, a, a real man takes responsibility for his actions and takes blame for his mistakes. And he doesn't point fingers at everybody else and say, it's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. Um, even if it is somebody else's fault, which I don't think it is, he's the president of the United States. He should take responsibility and say, hey, the buck stops with me. If it was the intelligence community's fault, it's my fault. If it's Donald Trump's fault, it's my fault because I'm the president and I'm not going to pass the blame on another individual. It all falls on me eventually. Um, so I, I think he should resign, but that's not going to happen. So uh, so if he's not going to resign, he needs to at least look like he's in charge of the situation and fire some people and say, um, this is not going to happen again. Tell the American people this is not happening again. This was a huge mistake. I'm taking responsibility by firing the people who are responsible. This will not happen again. You have my word. I am taking care of this. And the people to blame are going to be fired. That's what he needs to do. But we don't have a president right now. We have a mouse, an old mouse, who needs his nap time and his, his uh, tapioca pudding before while he watches Matlock before he goes to bed. All right. Well, anyway, on that note, hope you all have a great Labor Day weekend and hope to see you all back here real soon on the Homeless Politicast. Bye, everyone.